With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Live in the studio with the Jesus and Paula show. I don't know about you, but I, I, I sense that today is going to be a buzzer kind of day. Whatever God is going to say, there will be a lot of buzzers, a lot of bells, a lot of rings, dings, and possible slaps, and the gavel. We might go all the way up to the throne room today, the gavel. (laughs) Okay, a couple weeks ago, we had the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. It was fire, fire, fire. God was on fire. We were standing up, laid out, on our feet. You name it, it pretty much happened at this year's TPTI. And then the week after that, we were in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Price is at the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And it was, technically it was a grapevine, and it was huge at the Gaylord Texan. If you ever had to walk through the Gaylord Texan, my God, put on your tennis shoes. Everything really is bigger in Texas. They, they do not exaggerate when they make that statement, and I think we had 30,000 steps in that day, going back and forth to the interviews and the connections and the food and everything else. Dr. Price had a lot of favor, a lot, a lot, a lot of favor there, and she had live interviews, scheduled follow-up interviews, and so stay tuned. Make sure that you subscribe to our mailing list. Going to www.drpaulaaprice.com, and on the contact uh, page, you can subscribe to our mailing list so you stay in the know <laughs> on what is going on in the world of Dr. Paula Price, because it's a lot <laughs> that's happening all over the place. And so she's here, she's there, she is everywhere. And uh, getting a lot of national recognition. Saturday, we were in Oklahoma City at a Freedom Rally. Let me just talk about that for just a minute. Oh, and every, everybody in the room just goes into tongues. Mm-hmm. Might actually have you posted uh, the video because Rachel recorded it. It's about eight minutes she had to speak, and she talked about, I think, probably one of my favorite openers of a presentation that she has done. And she said, you know, in the body of Christ, the word says that we're supposed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and we've mastered being harmless as doves. And then it was like that pause. But we need to also master being wise as serpents. And you can tell everybody in the room is like, yeah, this is going to be good. There's about 2,000 people in the room. It's like, okay, this is going to be good. And she went through point for point breaking down how we do not need to buy into Satan's narrative on our nation, on us as a people. And then she said some other things that I'm not going to say right now because you will see it when we upload it and you can watch the video. 
It was great behind the scenes, connecting with people, Dr. Price being Dr. Price, even in Texas, we reconnected with some people that we haven't seen in years, years and years and years. And it was like, Dr. Price, oh, my goodness. We went all the way to Texas to connect with people that we weren't able to connect with in Tulsa who live in Tulsa. <laughs> we were like, you're here? Oh, my goodness, we're finally meeting face-to-face because so many things have been Zoom in the last year, and so we just chuckled about how sometimes you have to go way out of your way to meet people who are in your way, not in your way like get out of the way, but in your pathway that you are going. And so thank you for your prayers, your seeds, and, and your ongoing support because I tell you what, we're just getting started. And that can be a, a, a challenging thing to reconcile when you've been doing something for however many decades you've been doing it, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And now it's like, okay, now it's time to go to work. And you can say to yourself and to God, well, what have we been doing all this time if we haven't been working? And now it's time to get in the kingdom. Years ago, I have reiterated this before and will say again that um, the Lord said the era, the time in which this word will be needed did not exist yet. And that can be comforting in the sense of you're not missing God. And then maybe a little frustrating because you're like, when is that going to be? And then there's silence from heaven because he knows if he really tells us the whole story and the <laughs> rolling out the whole truth at once, many of us would run. At that point, we think we want to know everything from God. We think, look, the, the wise saints are like, mm-hmm, no, we don't. But see, a lot of people want to press God and push God. They want to push prophets, just tell me. Tell me now. Tell me what God is saying. Tell me what he's doing. Uh, Tell me which way I should go. Tell me how I should, whatever. And the Lord is like, nope, you're going to get this in part. You're going to get this so in due season because we try and help God. We, If we honestly, come on, how many people, if they really found out it would take 30 years to get to a point of manifestation, 20 years, would actually say, okay, not my will, but yours be done, and mean it. I mean, we all know what to say, and not try and help him along the way and say, oh, no, I can't, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to spend no two or three or four decades trying to get to a point of destination. And then we would try and do everything we can to shortcut the process, ultimately short-circuiting the process, and then find ourselves in a world of pain because we just can't do it God's way. We now have a doctrine that backs up. If it's, if it's long and hard, it's not God. Now, now, we say that that's your flesh. You're just working that in your flesh. And the Lord is like, no, no, they're just working it in my plan. And so we try, and now we have a doctrine that, that shellac. We just want it to look all shiny and preserved and everything so we can get the most by paying the least. That's nowhere. I mean, even Jesus had to die and be really dead. like three days that's really dead that's not he flatlined like we see in the movies and 20 minutes later they come back to life i mean we call that resurrection power and it is because dead is dead but he was like dead cold and in the well in the tomb he went in the ground in the tomb wrapped up and everything he was wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and he was wrapped up in the tomb just the same and he really died and went to a real hell and had to come back. We talk about our trials being hell on earth. 
don't you know, I just and we rattle off how much we've already paid the price and what we've already done and then don't be somebody like me who uh, has been with somebody like Dr. Price if you're not careful you're gonna piggyback on their warfare now it, being along for the ride comes with its own set of warfare <laughs> But nothing is the same as being the one whose name is on it. That's, that's things you can't tell anybody that happened to you. Things people say to you, pull you in the back room, being in front of judges and carrying on and all kinds that we don't ever have to deal with. Now, what we went through was what we went through, and it was real. But it's not the same at every level. And so sometimes you'll piggyback, underwrite, cosign, dovetail and everything else off of a price somebody else has paid. Mm. And say, well, I was there. You know, in your household, when your household goes through, you think that because you're a kid in the house that you went through the same level your parents did until you grow up and you realize, I had no idea what my parents were going through to keep us in this house, to keep us in the car, to keep food on the table, but you think you know because of the places you couldn't go, because of what you didn't have, and so to you, I already paid. I'm not going to grow up because I already came, and I already did this. And then you grow up, you're like, Mom, how did you do <laughs> You get your first apartment, get your first apartment, and all of a sudden you have so much less to say about how you were raised. <laughs> so much less. And so you think you've gone through whenever you are, riding with somebody else who's at the top who is going through david and his mighty men they went through with him in the wilderness but the price david paid to become king was not the same as what the mighty men of valor did to become in their seat so you can't ever think that your price is the same as anybody else's even if we're all in the car together living in the house together Working in the same office together, it is not the same. Because we all know there are things we were never willing to give up. The times when you said, ooh, I'm so glad. I hope God never asked me to. Dot, dot, dot. The way he asked, so and so. And it's a very interesting thing. So we will, we would try and help the Lord. Wouldn't we? Oh, no. See, he said 30 years. Oh, no, I'm going to cut that thing down to 10. I know people. I know how many times are we dragging our feet on obedience because somehow we think at the point of obedience is when the warfare starts. My life was fine until, was it? I always question that. Always question that when I hear everything was okay until, was it? Why were you on advisements for five years? Everything was okay. How come you were broke? Why couldn't you finish school? How come you had no respect from your family? What about, and on and on, everything was fine. Was it really fine? I mean, we really begin to tell ourselves and, and, and convince ourselves of a reality that is not true. In professional circles, that's called delusion. Where we walk around deluded, we convince ourselves to thinking that life before Christ, or at least obeying him, or doing something hard or challenging, was better than it was right then. Was it really? And you know that's the devil. That is the devil. Not just a devil. That is the devil. Did God really say? Did he? What's your life? I mean, your life really wasn't that bad. 
And you know what? The honest thing is like, yeah, well, actually it was worse. It was terrible. It was awful. And the price you pay for obedience is nothing compared to the price you pay for disobedience. That's why obedience is better than sacrifice. There's a reason all these things are in Scripture. You are going to pay a price both ways. The difference is one comes with a harvest and the other comes with punishment. You're going to go through. When it's your idea or God's, you're going to go through. You're going to pay a price. Whether to finish your education or not, the price will be paid. Whether it's in dollars and cents, in the front end, no promotion later because you don't have the education and so we can't consider you for that job. I knew somebody back in the day who was offered a job in a bank, really nice job, family, needed the money, couldn't get the job because they never finished high school. And the person hiring them was in shock because it never crossed their mind. They didn't have their GED either. Could not take the job in the bank because they didn't have their GED. Had to go finish school. And then, of course, by the time they did, that, that opportunity was long gone. And ended up working somewhere else doing something much different and less as far as payment and benefits and everything. Because of that, you will pay in the front end or you will pay in the back end. And you can try and short-circuit the process all you want to. The systems of life will kick in, and they will either kick you up or kick you out. And that's what we teach here. That's what Dr. Price has always taught us about being in the office. I will know if somebody should be in the office because if they should be there, it takes them up. If they shouldn't, it keeps kicking them out. We observe. This is why we have everybody on probation whenever they come into an office, just like police officers. I mean, we act like this is something novel because it's God. How are you on a saying? Who are you to tell police officers? Her husband's a police officer. Congratulations, ceremony, the COVID ceremony. Ceremony nonetheless. All right, got the shield, got the whatever. Congratulations, you are nobody. You are a probie. You are a rookie. And you will be there until we say you're not. And you're going to do a ride along until we can trust you to ride by yourself. Okay, and so we see that in the world. It doesn't matter how people feel about it. These are human lives at stake. It's not about how you feel about how you can handle the job. It's about how the people who know the position, know the opposition. Dr. Price said this years ago when she was getting all kinds of heat and flack because we weren't out there. You need to let those girls be out there. You need to stop sitting on their ministry. You need to stop holding them back. She said, let me tell you something. I was like, oh. I felt like that uh, Claire Huxtable moment. You know, on the show, was she telling Alvin? Alvin? And he was like, oh, no. She said, I know the devils that are waiting for them. I know the devil plays for keeps, and he does not care that you're new. He doesn't care that you're this. He doesn't care that you're that. I know what's waiting for them. And it's like, yeah, so quit trying to stop. I'm good. Hiding right here. I'm looking over Dr. Price's shoulder. I'm with her. That's my line, and I'm sticking to it. I'm with her. We go overseas. They try and keep us over there. We came with her, we're leaving with her. We go on trips, they want to keep us, we came with her, we're leaving with her. That's the story, and we're sticking to it. And so we want to rush God. We want to short, short circuit the process and go around and say it's not him, and then shop around for prophecies to validate what we want to hear. That's the dangerous part. You know you're in trouble when you start shopping around. It's outside of the camp or within the camp. 
to find somebody, usually who you lie to anyway, and if their mantle isn't sharp or mature, they don't know they're being lied to, and so you play them and manipulate them. We know you're going to be manipulative in your office because you're manipulative in your gift. And so you try and manipulate people to say what you want to hear, and then you're going to come back to your leaders and tell them, well, so-and-so said, or you're going to act on it and not say it. And we're like, now, who, is, who has your ear now? Because you're bold and you're rebellious because you feel you're a backup. Well, so-and-so, you're going to go to somebody high in the kingdom and somebody who sends out staple prophecies and whatnot. You know those little cookie-cutter words? I get those from some of my clients. Well, I used to sometimes. It's like, well, Ashley, I want you to take a look at this. This word is just for me. This word, look, look, I do marketing. This is a template. They inserted your name at the top, your name in the middle, and your name at the bottom. 1,200 people got this email today. <laughs> and if they have a really big market, 3,000, 10,000 people got this email today. This is not a word just for you. This is a word that was sent to you, which is different than a word that is for you. And so you shopping around in all kinds of trouble, leaning to the left and the right, and it's like, hmm, because we don't want to accept the process is the process. When it becomes more important for you to be in your place than for you to be right in what God has called you to do, that's when you're in trouble. If the reasons that you start and stop begin and end with you, something personal, then you really don't have God's best interest at heart. You think you do, but you really don't. Well, I just need to do this because I and I, listen, true story. Can I tell a true story? I'll tell another true story. True story. One of my first evaluations with Dr. Price. I'm telling it. I'm telling it. I'm telling on myself. I'm telling on myself. Sitting at the dining room table because at that time we were, you know, not in a church yet. I think we were in a church in the hotel. And the prophet's eval. These evals go back years, 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 years. So this is like mm, 14 years ago maybe, 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Now I begin to rattle off all these things in my evaluation with Dr. Price. How many of you know if you survive an, an office evaluation with Dr. Price? And so I'm just talking. I'm talking. I'm thinking I'm being deep and spiritual. Now, I couldn't spell deep and spiritual at that time, but I thought I was. It was the deepest I could ever get. And I'm rattling these things off, and Dr. Price is being Dr. Price, and she's sitting there listening because it's a review. And she says, you know, Ashley, you're not doing this for God. You're doing this for you. I am? (laughs) I thought everything I said was exactly what God should want me to say. And she let me know my reasons were selfish, and they were. Now I, I can clearly, clearly see that now. My reasons were selfish. They were for me. They were how I could be powerful, and I could be used, and I could be this, and I could be that. And not once did I have any one of God's considerations in mind. And she said, so it's going to be a while before you're ready. And I was like, okay. I, I was so stunned. I mean, I was so stunned. I'm here. I stayed in Tulsa. My part of my family was so against it, and I should be doing other things, real things with my life and a career on the East Coast and living in a sweet apartment and driving a sweet ride and doing all this kind of stuff. And, no, I'm here for God. No, you're not. And I was like, wow. I mean, that, that blew me straight down for like five years. And it caused me to really reassess, why am I doing this? Wow. And you know what? And, and it's 
when somebody like that speaks a truth to you that is news to you, <laughs> after that, the Lord begins to show you in all these other examples how that is absolutely correct. In the moment, you want to be upset, be offended, snap back, mouth off, all the things we do. But if God be God and he is God, he will show you through other people and other circumstances and in other situations just how accurate that word was. And you will be embarrassed, especially if you're fighting it. I mean, if you're really resistant, if you really don't want to believe it's true, he will show you on your job that has nothing to do with the ministry. He will have your friends begin to tell you how they really feel about you who have never said anything before. <clears throat> Strangers in the grocery store will say some weird comments to you in the aisle. Oh, so you're just one of those people. Oh, I see how you're like. <laughs> and everywhere you turn, all of creation is bearing witness to the word of God. The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? And sometimes we think that that's just about, thus saith the Lord. But when he has sent out a word on your life and he wants you to get it, all of creation will line up. You'll see billboard signs saying, have a bad attitude? <laughs> Read this book. <laughs> I mean, like, everywhere you look, late night commercials, need to fix that attitude? Sign up for our training program. Do you need healing? Are you bitter? <laughs> you're gonna find you're gonna be in the mall and hear a song about being having a bitter heart. And you're like, everywhere I go, all of creation is testifying to what God has told you that you don't want to accept is true. Favor that you had before, all of a sudden people can't remember your name, don't want to hear it, and when they see you coming, they turn around and go another way. Hey, you have time? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm busy. Oh no no, I I can't. Oh no wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and the next thing you know, so either you will say, all right, Lord, not my will but yours be done, or you'll keep hitting that brick wall until you bust your head open. For years. Because God can wait. Because people are stubborn, and yeah. people have been so self-affirmed. Yes, yes. They, they have their own self-affirmation. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are some indicators of a person having, being driven by their own self-affirmation which is triggered by their Mm self-will, which is triggered by their self-aggrandizement. I'm greater than, I'm I'm great. I'm greater than most people know, and if I just get an opportunity, everyone's going to see how great I am. How great. Yeah, and so, but that has to do with either too little or too much affirmation. Mm -hmm. In other words, there are parents who raise their children with, Everything they do is good. Their failures are good. Their plops are good. Their their poop doesn't stink. Their vomit isn't nasty because they are over-affirming parents. No, we don't call it that. We call it this. We don't say that. We say this. And so there are parents who feel like because they themselves are either under-affirmed or excessively affirmed, as they grew up, they decided that anything that comes from them is obviously better. So... You get that. So, and, and then you come and you sit in these churches where they affirm everything you do. There's no such thing as sin. Yes. You're really not a sinner. No, that's not really sin. And, and well, But God knows your heart. Just be yourself. If God doesn't want you to have it, he'll take it from you. I mean, if he doesn't want you to be that way, he'll step in and fix it, throw you down, roll you over, leave you for dead, something. And so you've got the parent, the, the parent in their formative years, and then you have that spiritual leader in your 
uh, developmental years. And so when it comes time for ministry, it is a foregone conclusion that you're perfect. And you're really in that class to show everyone your perfection because you are, again, enrolled for affirmation. You have become an affirmation junkie. And so all, and if, it's, if you don't get that, then that, that childish thing in you will pop up and you'll start having tantrums, you'll start tearing up stuff, you'll start have, pushing yourself in because the big deal is that you must change everyone's mind about you to what you think of you. That was free. But you can go and do a little something, something with it. See, you, don't, you have to ask yourself, why am I so obsessed with this? Why am I so driven? What is it about this whole thing that t- turns me into another person? And, and, and your objective then becomes proving to the outside world what you already know about yourself inwardly. So you enroll in classes, and as long as you get the right teachers, instructors, and professors, you are in that class the minute they don't appreciate you because appreciation is that fuel, that that drive that you're going after. They must appreciate you the way you appreciate you and thus the way you want to be appreciated. So you get caught up, and so your whole life is embroiled in this, and you have a series of people meet you you because you have – mastered this thing. This thing has been contrived to a masterful drama. And in your theater of life, people meet you, you are super charismatic. You are magnetic. They absolutely adore you. They cannot help but want to be around you. They they find you interesting and intelligent and, 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 and engaging. And so that's scene one. Act one, scene one. <laughs> I, just, I need it. I, want, I, I got. I need to hit the. <laughs> I need to hit the Liberty Bell. So, because remember, these are you have these are acts in your play to get you the reward or the award you want, which is the world finally realizes that you are the greatest thing in it. My God. They come to the knowledge of your truth. And do you know now? That's, that's the phrase, speak your truth. Your truth. Live your truth. Your truth. That's, that's what you hear all the time now. Mm-hmm. And we'll deal with that in a little bit. So that's the, they meet you. So now they want to, they want more of you. So you set up meetings. You set up, let's do lunch. You throw out a few ideas where you can connect and work together on the same thing. I mean, they can't get enough of you because you are, you are in, you're playing your role. And your role is to hook them into your persona so that they can begin to get glimpses of the excellence that you feel you bring to everybody's world. Untouched, untapped, undeveloped, raw talent. So then, so then we go, and, and, and so the next meeting is when you get together, and that's when you begin to share stories. And the problem with that one is, in this particular scenario is that when you share stories, you're now, they're telling you their stories, and like you said, you're telling yours, and you have your truth, and they have their truth. And so now they, they get to commiserate with you about those who did not see your greatness. Ah, oh, you now have a fan. You have an approver. They, 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 I, I know you mean, and blah, blah, blah. After that, 
the next thing is we're, we move into working together or undertaking some project together. But they're going to meet another side of you now. Now they're going to meet aggression, rivalry, and contention, and insistence on your way. That's accurate. We're moving on. Now, this is getting ready to get really good. And so in the beginning, they appreciate you as one who stands your ground, as one who knows your own mind. Isn't that wonderful? They appreciate that. And they can see why other people were jealous of you, which is how you defined it. And so they, so they figure, okay, I can work with that because I'm, now there is buy-in. There's, you know, we've committed to each other. I'm going to help you. We're going to do this project together. It's going to be good. It's going to be And there might even be some investment, time, you know, affection, money, material, whatever. So people at this point in this act, they're not ready yet to disengage. But they want to try to temper you. And the more they uh, try to temper you, the more they arouse that, that old thing of, see, people don't appreciate me, you know? And can't you just see I'm just being me and I've been trying to give this to the world and here's another aspect of the world that won't receive it the way I want to give it. Very interesting. And so now all of a sudden the blinders come off, the honeymoon's over, and now the, it turns into the contest. The competition begins. And you move into act three. Competition and rivalry. Because you're going to prove that they are not seeing you with the right lenses, with the right eyes. Their optics concerning you are wrong. And here you are. And the campaign is not even just a campaign, but it's also the demonstration begins. I've got to show you, like I've had to show so many people before you. And it becomes obsessive. And you cannot help it. You have, you've got to change everybody's mind about you to what you know you to be so that they could appreciate you more, value your efforts and your, your involvement in their lives, value your attempt. And here you become a little condescending. Don't they know? And you get indignant. Who do they think they are? And you, all of a sudden you're back in this drama again. Here's another great relationship that is being pummeled by your, your emotional objectives. See, we don't ever think about people's emotional objectives. But people have emotional objectives. And those objectives go way, way deep in their souls. So now, here you are again, having to train someone to be in relationship with you, to partner with you. They have to train because you feel like you have to train everybody to get along with you so that they come to that thing that you get at the end of the line, which is that that equality, that, you know, at, uh, what do you call it, the whole thing of you being recognized for what you know you should have. And so now we have the tension. We have the, the fighting. We have that we can't get through a meeting without, you know, having some sort of words. We can't come to an agreement. Or then, then, it then becomes the other things that people do. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to, best you and I'm going to outdo you and I'm going to go after before you do and I'm going to let you, everything about me eclipse you and if it doesn't then it's going to deceive you and mislead you so now 
the other person realizes, oh, goodness, what am I into? So most normal people, pretty much most subtle people will attempt to try to talk it out. We're going to talk it out. We're going to, we're going to share. We're going to try to get to the bottom. And the more they say it, the more they actually ignite all of these little flames in your soul that never go out. They're like pilot lights that never go out. They ignite them to inflame you because here we go again. You have created the situation. That always happens, but you are not the reason why. The reason this keeps happening is because people don't get you. Because nah. you are the unique one in all creation. Nah. There's none like you. And you're right, there's none like you <laughs> individually, personally, but you still are a type. We're all in types and kinds and classifications and categories. So people know your type. They may not know how you are operating and manifesting your type. Okay, so now they want to talk it out. They want to clear. Let's see if we can clear it because nobody wants to call it a wash at this point. But it's getting too ugly. And then now they're dealing with the side of you that causes people to walk away. You get pushy. You get moody. You become uh, cranky, very belligerent. You become indifferent to everything about them, and you become over or excessively demanding. You demand they get you. You've invested all this time in them. How dare they not get you? You put a lot of time in this relationship. You put a lot of energy, and you condescended to include them in your vision of making you great and causing the world to know it. Now, the, you know, you, as far as you're concerned, the gloves are off. As far as they're concerned, this is my last effort. We're not doing, I'm not, if this doesn't work, I'm out. And so clearly it usually goes one of two ways. You pretend to be, you know, understanding and aware and maybe a little bit apologetic or either you dig in and say, but this is how I am and I know what I'm talking about because I've done this before and you pull on your historical experiences. Forgetting that none of them came to fruition. See, this is their chance, not yours. So then you get to that point where you're going to insist they get it, that you are the expert in the, in the field. You are the one who knows best, and, 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 and you are the one that can get them there. And usually along the way, very, they wake up one day and find out that very little of them is in the project, and a whole lot of you is there. But that doesn't show up to down the line because, remember, these people are still operating on their first encounter with you. You were fun. You were pleasant. You were witty. You were engaging. And you appeared to be very thoughtful. They appreciated that. The second one, you, your talents, your gifts, your ideas, your, you know, innovations, they one and two keeps holding, so people are actually will will ignore all of this to stay connected with that because they then go on a silent campaign of trying to find that person again. Because they don't want to believe that they were duped. They don't want to believe that they were taken in. So we go. We get down to the end. It's, it's dying. The thing is dying. Finally, you know. The person or whoever's involved has to face the facts. I was misled. 
I was hasty. I jumped to the conclusions. What I saw was superficial. And we can go a whole, you all probably can think of other lists. But in the end, they have to come to terms with the reality that this was a bad deal and you are very difficult to work with and that nothing that they say will happen with you will come to pass because they have to deal with too much of you and not enough of what you can do. Kind of scary, isn't it? So now we get to the end. And when we get to the end, here is where everybody pulls the plug. You dig in because that affirmation is not coming. You, you finally realize I'm still not going to be affirmed. I'm still not going to be appreciated. And here's another one who just doesn't get you and who does not appreciate your worth and your value to humanity, to the earth, because you're bigger than you. So you, you're bigger than you. You're too big for you. And so you get to, they realize that, that the, you know, you suck the air out of every conversation. You take over everything. You alter every idea so that it fits your emotional objectives. And so nothing can, nobody can really get into it, and you don't want to give credit to anyone. People like this never want to give anybody else credit. We'll find criticism. We'll find a reason not to equalize somebody with their self-perception. I cannot make anybody equivalent to how I perceive myself because I am the greatest and I'm the one, and that's how it should be. So you don't, you, if along the way, there's a whole lot of you and a whole lot of them doing what you should do because ultimately people with this mindset always feel they should be served. You should serve me. You do the grunt work. That's the little people. You do the duck, da 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 And so let's say we get to the point now we're at the end of it. This is our final conversation, and the final conversation sounds like everyone that you've had in this situation like it. I thought God put us, especially Christian, I thought God put us together. Um, I, I, I felt we were going to do things. I knew what I brought to the table, and I knew that all that I brought to the table, and then as, I, as I, we got into more and more, I saw that we were not alike as I thought, that we're very different from each other, that you don't really see things the way I do because I know God put us together for a purpose, uses your purpose, not theirs. Um, it's usually a single purpose. And so you begin to tell them everything they, that you dislike about them and everything they do wrong and how much you've indulged it and you've tolerated it for the sake of the process, not the, not the relationship, the progress, the project, because it's the project that's going to pay off for what you're going after. And so they, if, they're, if they're patient people, they'll sit there and listen to you shred them, tear them apart. And then you're going to make it very advisory or consultative because you're going to start throwing in some recommendations for their future. See, they're going to get some recommendations for their future. So the next time they get an opportunity with someone like you, they won't say you go. And that's the cycle. That's the final act. Absolutely. So... And, and if it's amicable, you know, if you have a restrained, mature person, they'll just walk away. If not, it'll, it'll be very explosive. And uh, uh, in, in the end, a lot of ugly words. But you'll walk away thinking, here it goes again, not because I'm the repetition, but because 
people, the world consistently refuses to recognize you and acknowledge you and also to interact with you as you are. So we might want to call it a God complex, Jesus complex, angel complex, demigod, I don't know. But in the end, until you realize that in all of these instances, the common denominator is you. You never are absent in any of these instances. All of these dramas, you were the main star, you were the starring actor, that this is it. And so, but you won't say that. You, you'll say that people don't see you the way you see you. Because when you get your mirror, somebody else shows up. I don't know who that is, but see, somebody else shows up. And that's where you get to the point that you realize, wait a minute, I am so not not ready to do this. So you're mad with God. Ultimately, you get mad at God. You keep telling me to do things, and, and people don't get me, and you keep telling me to, and people don't, and on and on and on and on, and you keep doing that. You do it over and over again because you're, as far as you're concerned, even God doesn't get you because he doesn't know how life has made you. See, so God is unfamiliar with the product of the life that supposedly he gave you to live. So he doesn't know what you're trying to do. God, I'm trying to do this for you, and, and I'm trying, and God will let you go through that thing over and over and over again until you have run people to blame and folk to criticize or resources to repeat the cycle. I just thought I would say. I mean, because that's really where people are stuck. So, and and many of us, in, in, in today's environment where it's your personal truth, now you realize if everybody has an individual truth, guess what you have? A lot of division. And no basis no basis whatsoever for unity, equality, or equivalency. You don't have that. And so personal truth, and, and whole, Satan needs everybody to have personal truth because he's got a whole third of the angels that he's got to put with something, give somebody to. So each one of them, they fractured creation, so they're fractured. You know, don't give him credit for too much unity. And so... Here's, this is where we are. Now, how did, why did all of this happen? Because when I, when I wrote my assessments and we do our reviews, we have, a, a, literally, we have automated reviews. They're automated. You get to say who you are, and we get to say who you are. <laughs> and then determine how much we come together or we, you know, diverge. So, when we were doing these assessments, because people think prophets can't be assessed. I don't understand. Prophecy is none of the words. Words are accessible. I mean, we make it sound like it's so deep. You can be, a prophecy can be assessed as well as a sermon, as well as a book, as well as a literature. It's composed of words. Now, when you say the spirit of a thing, well, if, the, if we can detect the spirit of a sermonizer, we ought to be able to t- detect the spirit of a prophesier. I mean, we should, is what I think. But people don't believe that. They don't believe that because they came on gifts. And even that's ridiculous. If you're going to call it a gift, gifts are assessed all the time. Aren't they? You want to, I want to, you know, try out for a play. They assess your gifts and your talents. 
and they assess, they, this is what they do, they assess it by how you express it. So, and somewhere along the line, there's a string of criteria that are regulated or measured, rather, on scale. Scales, gauges, range, scope, you name it. So people assess you by how you're expressed. And we do the same with our messengers. I don't don't think my teachers should be assessed more or less than my prophets. And so, but you can't assess anything that you have not established the institution and its functionality. So we, I've done that. Remember, I wrote the Prophet's Dictionary. I wrote the Prophet's Handbook. I wrote Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. I wrote Assessing Your Prophetic Self. I think I kind of got that. And I found that the terminology varies with the industry. So we use prophecy or prophetic terminology for the institution of the prophet. But talent is talent. So a talented prophet may not look like a talented attorney. But both fields have their parameters. They have their structures and their infrastructure. So when we say that, when I said to you, you're saying it's for you, because when the way you were communicating, and she was, she was much younger then. Bless her heart. And so the way she was communicating, her goals and objectives were 100% self-serving. 100% self-serving. I mean, my, my, I mean, my, my, I mean, my, 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 me, me, my, 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 I, my, me, mine. So I don't think that was hard to assess. How many of you all could put that together? We could almost stroke count those eyes. And so based on that, it's not happening. When you are in your profession, you know what your profession needs. Not what you need right away, but why that profession is calling on your gifts and your talents. And that's what we miss. Why is God calling on your gifts and talent as a prophet, as his messenger, as a voice of his word? What is it about you that makes him, out of all of his billions of options, say, but you're going to be my prophet? You're going to be my messenger. Because answering that will say whether or not God called you, ego called you, or people called you, or devils called you. You know, I'm hoping the last is not something we use a lot. So I need, when I start evaluating in a second, I'm listening to prophets all the time. And one of the things that I know is you can tell a prophet speaking for God and a prophet hoping God will say that they're speaking his words. Who's hoping that word to come to pass? For example, True prophets will not keep giving you their belief system because when you are an agent and an officer, your belief systems don't matter. You go to work. I'm sure you'll all go to work every day. Nobody cares about your belief system. Oh, you believe our, our, our company values, yeah. our company beliefs. Did, did you notice that? Our, our work ethic, ethic of the company, not your name. As a matter of fact, they don't care if you never use your name, if they could just use, give you a number. All right? But your beliefs don't matter in their service and in their employ. Yet we have prophets that keep talking about what I believe and I sense and I think. Mm-mm, that's a pundit. So we got some prophetic pundits. 
I shouldn't say that. Okay. Was it recorded? Okay. All right. Because when you don't, when you understand who you are in God, and you understand what it is to be a high in a high position with anybody, you know, then you have to know that God has a way. You are entering something that has existed forever. We got, according to John, we have angels who are prophets. Matter of fact, the angels who brought the word to God brought prophecy to earth. So if that's the case, just think about it. If that's the case, then you need to recognize you can't even go back into God's world and decide whether or not you want to sense and think and believe. Mm -mm, That's not prophet. A real prophet represents the Godhead, represents the voice of God, the word of God, the truth of God, and they will tell you what they said. And many times, due to our naivety and our ignorance, we don't even agree with God because we can't. That's why he had to write, how can two walk together unless it be agreed? He had to make that happen. I need to bring you into my perspective so we agree. But you don't have to agree with God to talk, to give his word. People don't have to agree with the word they give. They just give it like your phone doesn't agree with your conversation. It just passes it on. Your phone can't even explain why you're saying half of what you say. It doesn't care. Can you imagine you in, you're in the middle of talking and your phone is saying, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh-uh, that's not true. That's not how we go. And if I'm going to continue this call, you're going to say it the way I want. That kind of attitude we call God. You're, we are his instrument. We are vessels. Now, we are the highest technology that his creation has outside of Jesus Christ and his angels. When you talk, we keep thinking that we have it. A gift will always wonder. An officer will always know or at least express what God says ignorantly. And the office will always give God credit. See, as long as you say, I sense, and I believe, and I feel, and I think, and whatever, you are actually taking credit for the word. And that's how we know you're not in the office. And, but when God wants to have the official side of that thing show up, he won't let you take credit for the world. He'll make you say See, because we think we're doing that because it's a safeguard. If it's not God, if it doesn't happen, then uh, I could say I sense, I believe. But see, an officer can't do that. We have to act on what the organization says. So if you, whether you agree with it or not, whether the word happens in your time or not, because, see, prophecy is not time-bound. Jeremiah died, and he still didn't see the word. But Cyrus did come, and Cyrus did send people back home. But Jeremiah didn't see it in his lifetime. And so you cannot say how God's going to do it, and human understanding cannot even begin to pierce God's nuanced intentions for anything. For example, you got 
um, you've got a, a, a prophecy and you give it to a, a man that says that, you know, your son is going to do blah, blah, blah. No, I'm sorry, you're going to do so-and-so and so-and-so before you leave this planet. The man gets sick and sick for a long time, but the son does it because God is always dealing with the seed in the gene, the gene pool, always. So we think that we know by human events how human events are going to make something happen, but God is all. But God speaking to what He did, and we're and we speak into what we're waiting to happen. I think one of the most powerful words about the prophetic and prophecy that I have read in Scripture is "Call those things that be not as though they were." You can tell unenlightened translations change it to earth are because they don't they're not a prophetic publication. Because call those things that be not as though they were is saying take take heaven's past tense and speak it into earth's future. That's interesting, isn't it? You take heaven's past tense and you speak it into earth's future. So in God's word, as though they were, because all of his works have been finished from the foundation of the world. So everything we prophesy is past tense for God. Isn't that a good thing, though? Everything we prophesy, I don't care what it is, it's a good thing for God. And God said, I, I, I tell you of the form of things before they come to pass. He didn't say before I made it, whipped it up. He said before they come to pass, because earth is constantly parading through the generations things that God ordained and embedded in creation before the foundation of the world and from the foundation of the world, which is why training prophets is not as um, complicated as people like it to be. Because in God's mind, here's and I can give you a, a, a biologic truth, fact, for this truth. Every human being is already in the womb, I mean, in the egg and the sperm of their parent. They're there, seed within a seed, within a seed, within a seed, within a seed. God wrote a book on every seed. So if he wrote a book on every seed, or at least wrote the lifespan and the lifetime, Understand, if he did that, then, of course, everything that that seed is to do and become in the planet is past tense to God. Because God saw, and it was good. This works, that works, whatever. Even the destructive things. I mean, we think about it. He said, I created the waster to destroy. Now, the waster thinks he's a self-creation. But God said, I created the waster. He said, the deceived and the deceiver are mine. See, those are attitudinal consciousness that we must adopt, not just embrace, but adopt and assimilate in our prophetic mantleship. Because they become regulators that let you know this, this is realistic, this is not, this can be, this won't be, blah, blah, blah. God has to do that. And he does it because he has got to be alpha and omega and then the engineer between the two. It's a different attitude. I don't know if this is speaking to you, but it's a really different attitude when we think about it. Does, that, does this speak to you? Yes. 
So when, when you start thinking about judging prophecy, which my wonderful book, I love this book, you know, I got a book. When you think about judging prophecy, I had all, I must have gotten a new version of it because, you know, I'll be giving it away and stuff. Because but when you think about judging prophecy, but yeah, this one isn't. That's why I know. But when you think about judging prophecy, you have got to have, oh, by the way, ah, assessing your prophetic self, and it is very good. I know it's good because I'm still learning, and I wrote it. I'm still learning from the book. I figure if I'm still learning, it's okay. And, and so, but when you think about judging prophecy, first of all, we like, not just anybody can judge prophecy. They can judge their reception thereof and their experience because God says things that make no sense to the natural mind all the time. He still says things that make no sense to me. And then 10 years later, he said, um, okay, do you remember when I told you, you know, one thing, anybody feel like with Jesus, you ever had a thought of he will break up a conversation for 15, 20 years and act like you just had it yesterday morning? And you want to say, you know what, Father, but, but, but hold on. Father, Lord, do you realize how much time and life? We've lived a lot of life since you introduced that subject. You realize how many calamities we had and how many things, you know? You know, I'm, I, you know, kids got grown, went to college, got degrees, moved out. I'm an empty nester, and you're acting like what? But I'm going to share something with you if I can. Because I think it's important for us to understand. Um, page, if you have the book, page 50. If not, buy the book and follow what I'm saying. As a divine communicant, that means prophet, sire, prophet, visions, dreams, sermonizer, doesn't matter. Anybody who's given voice to God. <laughs> As a divine communicant, you will be called upon to give opinions and advice and to render decisions on countless things. The portal to it all is judgment. Really? Judgment? Where there is, where, where there is comparison, there must be judgment. Should you be asked to arbitrate conflict, you will need to put on your judging garments and distance yourself from the matter far enough to be fair, <coughs> excuse me, and impartial. Prophetically speaking, assessment is, pop, is impossible without judgment. For that is the galvanizer of all opinions. Every day, living prepares you to judge from what you wear to what you eat to whom you will speak to and how you handle the unexpected. None of it happens without judgment. If a judgment meter was strapped to you, it would, it would register that you judge more than you would like to think, uh, excuse me, that you would like to admit. People judge everything and everybody all the time. It is normal and, in most cases, healthy. Without comparison and contrast, the key components of judgment, you could not make good choices or create a baseline for concluding anything. As a future assessee, you should become familiar with the fundamentals of judging and become comfortable with doing so in the name of the God of truth and righteousness whom you serve. Suggestion reviewed Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 for judgment's dominance and a prophet's functions. Judging 
helps you decide what to choose and what to refuse. In a world in which two diametrically polar opposites dominate all things, the ability to render sound judgment is a safeguard, a precaution no thinking person can do without. It may be that there are so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them without significance. When it comes to divine communications, Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians 14 alludes to its place in assessing. Discernment and detection are high judgment faculties. Hmm. In this passage, he implies that every sound has meaning, every voice has a language that must be analyzed and judged as to its identity and intent. No wisdom could be more pertinent to prophecy. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 1 John 4.1. This passage from 1 John amplifies the point. Every prophet's voice is influenced by some spirit. I don't know, but I think that's kind of like. Yes. This puts discernment and judgment in a class of their own. John warns us to try every spirit by its confession, and as these can be extensive in behavior, it's conversation. John's yardstick or plumb line is Jesus Christ. What a prophet says about Jesus Christ's incarnation as God's first begotten son tells you what spirit is speaking through that messenger's mouth. You have heard it said we are to try the spirit by the spirit. Nowhere in scripture is it specifically stated that way. John is emphatically speaking about the prophets circulating among his flock. He is quite adamant about the subject and elaborates on it when exiled to Patmos. There, the Lord Jesus' angel expands upon what John admonishes in his first epistle. He exposes false prophets, the end times ultimate deceiver, infested with frogs and unclean spirits, using him to voice deceptive messages. Pretty interesting, isn't it? So if you are going to have discernment, you have to discern the spirit articulating its thoughts and wills through a prophet, false or not. In order for you to do that, prophetic education has to have more than Bible, more than Bible. Or it has to have include Bible and not just all these other religions. To be a quality prophet, you're going to have to be aware at the least, and, and, and somewhat conversant in all of the sacred texts. That means you can't become a prophet overnight in an educational program in less than a couple of years. It's probably just a seminar, okay? And if it's, and if it's shorter than that, it's just a workshop. No, 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 can't do that. Now, so Dr. Price, where does it say that? Where does it say we need to do that. Daniel, to be God's prophet, had to be educated in all of the writings of the Chaldeans. Is that right? That's that Bible. Okay, our Bible. Yeah, that one. That one to save our souls. Okay. The soul saves the Bible. All right. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Acts chapter 7 says that Moses was a superior prophet because he understood all the wisdom of the Egyptians, the then world power. 
I'm just our Bible. Soul saving Bible. So you can be a prophesier and you can certainly give a word, but if you're going to be one of God's high prophets, you have got to be literate in more than what is happening between you and God in the prayer closet. You're going to have to be literate in that. You're going to have to be conversant in that. Does this make any sense to you all? So when, and so when people come to my prophetic education program, and we have a, a class called Apostolic Prophetic Bible Education, um, they are stunned because they're like, well, I, I know the Bible. No, you don't. Half of you don't even know what I just said. Now, you know your pastor's pet words and phrases. You know your thinkings. You know your denominations because that's what we do. But in order to be a full official of the Almighty, you have to know all that the Almighty is contending with. That's different, though, isn't it? Because if you're representing God, you need to know what God is contending with. What is it that God has to fight? That is why we have so many false prophets today. First of all, most of our prophets, they're prophesiers. So that is why we have so many false worders today, because they, in their mind, they're back to that whole scenario that I introduced my talk with, me, what's going on in me, how God speaks to me, how God uses me, how God tells me to act, how I practice all of that egoism is defining you as a messenger. And it, it, it could be a soul messenger where you're speaking your own soul. It could be a spiritual messenger where you are a divine communicator. But the me factor is what distinguishes who's who. We look at Jeremiah's example when he had that whole argument at that prophetic conference where all the prophets had to come before the king to get the word of the Lord, which was very common back then. And so, um, you know, all of them were all excited. King, you're going to live. This is going to be great. You're going to win the battle. It's going to be happening. And Israel's going to be here. You're going to be known as the great rescuer of it. Mm-hmm. And so here comes mm-hmm. and so here comes Jeremiah. You're going to lose this war. <laughs> okay. I understand now. I may be the lone ranger in this, but you're going to lose this war. Your people are going to be deported. Your country is going to be emptied, and you're going to die. Sorry. Yeah. So you know he's not getting an honorary for that. No. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> uh-uh. No, no, stop payment. Uh-uh. Cancel that cash app. You are not getting it. Okay. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> no, no. Even if, the, even if Doomsday is here. But pe- because it's, it's only when people are going down that they want to make sure that God knows that he's responsible for that. And so then when he has, okay, had an eye. I know. And then when they run, all of a sudden when you're going down, he's your God. Look at America. But God, you owe us. We're your people. Yeah, I'm, I understand you were my people before we got here. Except I was the only one who knew it. And I was the only one who cared. Nobody else cared that you were my people. 
you didn't take responsibility or whatever. So he goes, and then he, he has a fight, you know, in Jeremiah 28. They, um, Hananiah comes and snaps the yoke off of his neck. In other words, he fires him as a prophet. So Jeremiah just goes on home because, you know, when it's God's word, you can't really fight it and fight for it. You have to let God fight his own battle. He goes home, and Jeremiah's on the way home. You know how you ride home in your little car carrying on, and Lord starts talking. Because, you know, he did not, it didn't seem like he was with you at the convention. <laughs> okay, and canceled your cash out. And so he, <laughs> he said, listen, go back and tell them what I said, and tell the prophet who snapped that yoke off your neck that he's dead by the end of the year. Because God fights for God. Because God has to bring his own word to pass. But Jeremiah goes based on what I call the continuum, the prophecy continuum, the, the continuity of God's character and his responses to sin and righteousness. And he said, you know, um, from the beginning of time, the prophet is going to tell you from the beginning of time. That's how I can talk to you about Abel. That's how I can tell you how Abel was responsible for establishing civilization for the Almighty, beginning of time. So we stay in that continuum. We stayed there all the way down. So Jeremiah says, um, he says, from the beginning of time, God has never blessed a nation that continued to sin. I don't know about you, but I think that's a powerful thought. So he said, precedent, like a good attorney, precedent is on my side. He said, uh, God has never blessed sin, never. And he said, and when a nation sins, he sends judgment, he sends pestilence, war, famine, and he goes down the list. And based on that, he's, he's letting him know my prophecy was not based on the king's sovereignty or not. The king's favor. My, my prophecy was based on God's historical track record. When, when a nation sins, he takes it down. I don't know about you, but I think that is a powerful thought. Is that not? So when, you, when these people prophesy all of these kind of happy time moments, like when we were coming into 2020, we were getting all of these happy time moments, and did anybody expect shut down, closed down? No. No, but my girl, I, I reset 2017. I said, but it was harder than I thought. I just, <laughs> <laughs> Baby, that, that, I mean, that was a hard reset. Woo! I said, now, and you know, I talked to him now, Jesus, you could have mentioned how hard it was going to be. But, you know, Jesus was like, I don't miss words. I did say hard. I mean, I said hard, and he said, I mean, I don't know what else that was. I was like, exactly. I said, because, you know, and, 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 and even then, he just kind of chided me a little bit. He said, but you know what? The reason you didn't expect it to be that severe because you wanted the prophecy to turn out the way you want. We wanted God to chasten us, not crush us. We wanted God to reprimand us, not wreck us. We, yeah, exactly. We we really, I mean, hard reset, hard reset, but I mean, you know, no, no. We wanted to reprogram. We did not want God to crash the system. 
said, I said, honey, man, baby, and if we're fortunate, I said, um, Jesus, you, um, Lord, you know, you ever have the moments where God, you just, Lord, like, almost, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you doing this? Jeremiah, um, really, and it's Jeremiah 28, but he, uh, he really stood, and he stood not because everything turned out the way he said. He stood, because people don't believe in it until it gets devastating. Mm-hmm. So if you look at um, Hananiah, when you look at um, Jeremiah 28, 9, it says the prophet which prophesied the, oh, let me go back, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to this. Um, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. This is the annual convention. Even the prophet Jeremiah said, amen. Because Hananiah had told, you know, he had told him this is going to be good. You're going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon and blah, blah. Because yeah, mm, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. All right. Nevertheless, hear thou this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets, listen to me, because this is your judgment right here. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet which prophesied of peace, when the word of that prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord has truly sent him. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people. You know the grandstanding prophets? Don't we just live there? All right. Thus saith the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. You know, we had them. Remember we had them? We gave you dates, times, and numbers, and carrying on. In the space of two full years, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after that. Hananiah, the prophet, had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, not I sense, I feel, I believe, no, go say. Thus says the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beast of the field also. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest these people trust in a lie. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth this year, Thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the law, the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. I don't understand how people call the Bible boring. I think that's good and juicy. We don't have a prophet fight. In the middle of the convention, the prophets are fighting, getting ripping off one another's jokes. Come on, somebody. Ooh. All right? And then the king is sitting there saying, go get the one that doesn't like me. And, and, and that, Come on. That was good stuff. That was a good little episode in the series. We, you know, one 
that good? And then we can sit there and, and, and Hananiah is standing there and he told him that this is it. And you know he walked away talking about that ain't going to happen because you lie. But he said, now, think about it. The Lord has not sent you and nobody's going to know it until you die that you are not sent. You are an unsent prophet. That's good. I'm just thinking that's good stuff. And that, no, and God, God didn't just give Nebuchadnezzar his, he, all nations. All of them are going to belong to me. I said, ooh. And, and you think about that thing, but how, how would that relate today? All of the prophets who are proud of themselves that they prophesied Biden and didn't see the immigration mess. Didn't see people getting beat up, raped, and molested in their houses, thrown out of their homes. Didn't see the molestation and the abuse of children. Didn't see any of the things that the putting out of, and certainly didn't see the guy's brain not working at peak. Because you should have prophesied all of that. All of that. Because all you, cause if you just saw the incident, then you don't know who you saw or who showed it to you. Oh, come on now. Mm. Didn't prophesy stolen election. Didn't prophesy the hateful elite. Didn't pro- There's a whole lot that goes because Jeremiah went all the way back in time. Yes. What are they saying? You having a fiddle? <laughs> what are they saying? Oh. Oh my I understand. But Jeremiah. Jeremiah laid a foundation because he knows God has a precedence. He has a foundation for his words, especially if you're going to be a national prophet. If you're going to be a if you're just going to go to the local church's weekly prophetic meeting, you don't need that deep. You know, you just open it to a little local church, you know, neighborhood. There you go. Local assembly, bring a word, the little church prophet stuff you do. But if you're talking about going national, or global, and Jeremiah, we think, was just a prophet to Israel. You don't understand that I got to hit something. I got to hit something. Hold on. I got a slap claw. Wait a minute. I'm going to slap. Yep. Yep. I'm going to do that. I got a cowbell. Yeah. Yeah. I got to hit something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Go for it. Yes. Hit that liberty bell. Because you shouldn't have a prophecy that breaks the continuum. If you do, you created another continuum, continuum, or you plugged into the continuum of error. I had to say it. I had to say it. And the thing, because God is in control of all that He is doing. But I'm saying to you. You ought to know God's precedence, and you can't know it without the Bible. You can't be an eternity without knowing the precedence and all of the other cases that have gone before. Well, the Bible is full of God cases. And prophets as his enacting lawyers and attorneys have to know God's case, that you can understand God's mind on various things. Mm-hmm. When you look at Jeremiah, he wasn't just, because I just want to say this because it's important. You know, I've got to do the important thing. Yeah, you know, uh, the Lord, we love to use Jeremiah's call, but we don't pay attention. Jeremiah wasn't just Israel's prophet. 
He was born. He was stationed, but it said, Jeremiah 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hekiah, of the priest that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came, I love this, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 30th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now, that is a whole lot going on there. You can spend almost four classes just going through all of that. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee, before I formed thee, before I formed thee, before, before, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. He said that about John the Baptist. Same thing. But a prophet unto what? No, Israel, right? Isn't that what it says? Prophet to Israel. Do you realize the mantle that man had, the span and scope of his mantleship? He's a prophet to the nation. Now, his nation is toppling, and God doesn't care. He's resetting creation. He's resetting the world with Jeremiah's words. And Jeremiah is filled with everything that God planned and ordained and appointed for the nations. I'm just going to go on, continue to say what I'm saying. And then he said, Then said I, Our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go and tell all that I shall send thee, and whatever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day, listen to this, listen to this, this is powerful. I have this day set thee over the nations and over kingdoms. Oh, somebody got to hear. I got to hear the thing again. I got to hit it. Because we don't teach Jeremiah right. He's a weeping prophet. He said, but I put you up. He was, he, God made him a global messenger, a global prophet to reset, clean up. up cause look at what he said. I love this. One day God said, I need you to read that. You know, you know you're in trouble when God tells you you have to go read something. That means you haven't read it or you didn't understand it well. Okay. So he's like, I need you to go read that. Just go read it. Okay. I got ink on it. I got highlights, everything. Man telling me to go read it. I'm thinking if it's highlighted, God did not read it. And God is like, well, if you read it, what I say it. So, you know, me and Jesus, we have this real cute thing going on here. See, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Oh, God, i got to hit a thing. Do you understand the fullness of that, the the, the expanse of that mantle? She said, no. We don't. You sure, huh? This man, look at what he had. 
I love it. He said, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six dimensions of his mantleship. Six. Over nations and kingdoms. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what see thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said unto me, Thou hast seen well, for I, I will hasten my word to perform it. And you can go on. And now, based on this first chapter, the segment that I read, you can read Jeremiah and you're going to see him differently. He didn't just walk around as a beat-up prophet weeping and crying all over the place. I'm sure that they didn't even want him to show up at the convention because they knew when he showed up it wasn't going to be good. I'm sure they skipped his invitation altogether. Did anybody invite Jeremiah? Because if you did, I'm going to kill you. And here he comes. Why? Because he's the national prophet. He's the global prophet. And all of them there were under him, at least in God's mind. They were under him which is why he touched his chief prophet. He had to die. Because all the other prophets would have been just as rebellion and just as insurrectionist. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. I'm not, y'all can catch that. They're going to catch that on Monday morning. See, a lot of folk are not going to survive what they've been doing in this new day. See, this is a new day because we're in a... Hard reset. And Jeremiah is a hard reset prophet. If you study, and if I know my assistant chief prophet the way I know my assistant, she going to tell you what to root out and to pluck up and to pull that. Y'all going to play, baby, y'all going to. Y'all might have a little pamphlet for us all over. It's a little piece of pamphlet because I know Prophet Angela. You almost want to just camp on that phrase, don't you? I have set thee over the nations, and I put in your mouth every word that I will use to root out in a nation, to pull down his word. That is why you must be articulate. You've got to be a wordologist to be a prophet because God's got to use the word. And what it takes to pull down, to verbalize the downfall of an Egypt is not the same as what it takes to to tear down a Babylon. You've got to be a wordologist. And you have got to be a master wordologist. Because God wants you to understand that not any composition would do. Because you're talking about, hmm, help me, Lord. I'm glad I didn't have anything to say today. I know. I'm so happy I did not have anything to say. I told Jesus, you have to take it today, sweetheart, because I ain't got it. I don't know what I'm saying. Jesus is thrilled when I say that. Oh, good, you'll be out the way. That'll be great. We just, <laughs> we'll, get some, we'll get some things done. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. But think about it. If we were doing a weekend session on the mantle of a global prophet, Because 
distance is comprehensive. He gets to tear down and then inseminate the rebuilding, the up, the, the restoration. And you start looking at his words, you can begin to see this is a root out word. This is a, you have to know that as a prophet. See, because we come in telling good news and got mad with people. Good news, and then they go to the doctors and get a, a, get a, a death sentence for some disease. And they're like, but well, you the prophet, didn't you see that? No, I'm a good news prophet, then you shouldn't have been talking. Okay? I mean, yeah, the real news. Whatever that is. Or either you stand in front of people and you see <clears throat> they're going to die, or you see they're going to go through, and you don't say it because, after all, <laughs> the prevailing institution says it's got to be good news. So when your doctor tells you that you have stage four, you are right with that. But if a prophet says you have stage four, we caused it. Oh, we need that. God brings sanity to your prophetic in Jesus' name. We caused it. Well, if I'm that powerful seeing to me, you'd leave me alone. <laughs> okay? So, I'm, I'm, it's all right. It's all right. It's okay. I'm just, I'll be fine. I'm just one with, I, I'm one with what I got. <laughs> but when you look at what he said to him, and, uh, you know, like we don't even ask people about their prophet's call. Like, how did you become a prophet? How did God bring you into it? How did you become an apostle? They just come in and say, I'm an apostle, and they can't give you anything to tell you why other than somebody came to the church and said it, but that's not in the Bible. <laughs> that ain't in the Bible. So-and-so came that, you know, this evangelist came and made me an apostle. Oh, help me, God. Please, Jesus. This evangelist came through, and he, the evangelist laid hands on me, and the evangelist made me. Anybody hearing me? Yes. You know, the pastor, we had a pastor's meeting, and they came in, and they made me no. You might be able to see the mantle, but you can't make it. You cannot put me in the office, because you are, how are you going to put me in a higher office than you? You know, I'm really crazy today. I don't even know what happened. I'm like way out Come on. I don't know. Help me, God. I get it. But I'm like, but but you got all these people who are made apostles and prophets by lesser officers. Who does that? Nobody else does that. And you call, and you walk around all proud. That's like the teacher's aide making you a teacher. Can you do the paralegal gonna make you the lawyer? Okay. But we do that, and people take them at word value. I don't do that any longer. Tell me how you got to be who you are. Why? Because you might have been put there by the wrong person, which means you aren't there. Because the higher official comes and gets you. Those upstairs come downstairs to get you to bring you upstairs. So if you have no acquaintance with or interaction with upstairs, you still a lobby gift. Stay right in there in the lobby. Just go on in the lobby for your gift. I said I was crazy. I did. I told you. I'm, I'm gone. And so 
because we have to stop and, and, and truly true office holders and true occupants of these offices are going to say, tell me how you got that way and how were you installed because installation gives you access to the office. So when I don't see any of the other attributes or facilities of the office that your faculties must co- coagulate with, I'm going to assume that you, have, you were put in office by someone who had no official authority to put you there. And what will happen is that you can get away with it for a long time because you'll begin to emulate. You know, if you're in an office with someone long enough, you'll emulate. Your clerk will emulate the judge. You know, because you're there long enough, you pick up the lingo, you pick up the, the you know, the various habits, the attitudes, and all of those things. You have everything but the aptitude. But yet we still do it. We put people in, I want to know. Jeremiah could, every time they ask him, who are you, Jeremiah could run down. Okay? God put, when you look at all of these major prophets, we ignore how God inducted them. We don't pay attention to how he inducted them at all because we church, and church does it better. Like to see that day come. So, and if they do it, they can do it. They can make you whatever they want to make you in their church. That's your church. You want to call somebody an apostle in your church? That's fine. But don't expect that person to be recognized as an office holder or an occupant of that office outside of your church. Your congregation, not the ecclesia. Because even if you had it, let's say you there was nobody around to officially install you or whatever, God will prove God. So what he'll do is he will put you in a position where you are like Paul with Peter, face to face with those who can authorize you, who can inaugurate you. You face He will put you face-to-face with them. Paul goes, now you know Paul is tearing up church, killing Christians left, right, north, and south. That's another good move. Okay. <laughs> Paul said, I kill Christians. And I don't cripple them. I don't I kill them. Take them off the planet. And yet, when God calls him, God sends Ananias to give him his sight back. After a couple of years, he makes his way to Peter, which in today's time would probably be by nightfall, but back then, boat, slow boat to slow. (coughs) Excuse me. And so what happens is Peter interviewed him. He had to answer 12 apostles who had been with Jesus, 12. He had to explain to them the gospel he was preaching because we do have Acts 16. He had to answer difficult questions related to it to prove that the resurrected Jesus that recommissioned them also is the same one that commissioned him as an apostle. And for Paul, that had to be very interesting considering he was a, what do you say, a Hebrew or the Hebrew, Sanhedrin, and all of that, all of that, Paul had to really prove that he was no longer driven by his past education, culture, customs, 
etc. He had to prove that because they were in class with Jesus every day for three and a half years. Y'all want to talk about how hard it is. I can't even, can you imagine, I can't even, Jesus, well, I can because I've been that way, but I mean, can you imagine a man saying, and don't give me that answer because it's wrong, and you still trying to formulate the answer that's going to be wrong? <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm trying, I didn't even get it out of my mouth yet. I mean, what, what, what was wrong? Can you imagine him telling him you don't have your homework because you had an emergency and a crisis? He said, well, I know you didn't because I didn't send you one. I think the safest thing God does is give us teachers because we can't handle him up close and personal like that. I, I, I celebrate those apostles. So who are y'all arguing about on the road? Now, you know he knew what they were arguing about. He wanted to say they were going to lie. He knew that before he was traveling in the firm. He knew they were going to have that argument on the road. And those apostles were with this man around the clock all the time. And a couple of times, he tell you they got on his nerves. How long will I have to put up with y'all? Okay, when are y'all going to get it? Okay. You know what? Here we go again. I was like, oh. And he had to restrain himself because, see, when the Lord snaps, you snap. So he can't. He got to be patient because he's going to take us out just by irritation. Okay. Woo. So Paul is in, in a literal panel interview with all of these apostles to prove that he's one of them, even though he used to kill them. That's the piece. We got to make sure death is gone out of you. I need to make sure you cut ties with the death angel. And this is important because we don't do that. We don't ask people. First of all, we don't know the word or the spirit or the, the grace of God enough to ask the right questions. So we start asking about their gifting. You don't want to know their governance. You don't want to know their faculties, attitudes, aptitudes. You don't want to know their consciousness. You barely want to know their character. You don't want to know their academia because that's of the world. That's the devil. The devil's academic. Yeah, he probably is. And he certainly has been doing a lot better with his than ours. Because here we are. And so Paul is going through this. Can you imagine the grilling? And he said he was with them, what, three days? Something like that? And then one of them had the nerve to be Jesus' brother. Now, you know, if anybody going to catch you, it's going to be the brother. Because, I mean, can you imagine? Because he grew up with Jesus. I said, yeah, Paul, you earned that. And, and he knew they didn't trust him. And wait a minute. He also knew that if he was wrong, they were going to kill him. Because I know we think that the apostles didn't, but Jesus told them to buy a sword. That means that they had some sword fighting to do. Isn't that interesting? So I, I, I don't know about you all, but when I think about this, as you can see, I give this a lot of thought because my job is to be that guardian and to be that, but that one to say this is it, the standard and the, the, the stipulator. So when I say to her, and I'm because I get people where they want to argue me. I'm like, but you arguing, you're arguing dumb and blind. I'm arguing enlightened and experienced. I've been doing this a long time. So you don't even know how to frame an argument. So all I get is you spewing your sentiments, calling it an argument. Not the same. So, but I feel, again, dealing with those emotional objectives. 
See, a lot of times we don't explore people's emotional objectives because if, you're, because if out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, if that is true, then all of your goals and objectives originate in your heart. For out of the heart comes and the treasures. So, but we can't, the only way you can pierce hearts is through the word of God. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can say, yeah, right, mm-hmm, or no. Like, I've sat down with people, and he said to me, now, they don't, this is not, mm-mm, mm-mm. just be on guard for or something like that. God will tell me. He trained me in heart. That's why I could do Soul Sundays. Because he trained me, and we accept it. We don't even train people. We're so busy trying to get the psychological class down pat that we haven't realized that the originator told us it starts in the heart. And it may not have started the day that it's manifesting, but it starts in the heart, that need for affirmation, that need for acceptance, that need for prestige and, and, and renown. Have to have that. Have to. Because otherwise... Why am I on the planet? And that need to stand out because all my childhood I got lost. I was overlooked. I was abused. I was battered. See, there's a whole lot of solical makeups and solical restorations and reparations and rewards that we move, that move us to formulate those desires. Vows, no one's ever going to do this to me again. I will never do that again. You will never see me. I won't. mm -mm. And so when you, anything that, and and it's your definition, because we're looking at your catalog, your thesaurus, and your dictionary. That's the personal truth. Your catalog, your dictionary, your thesaurus, and let's not forget your archives. Your archives. So your personal truth comes down to that. But unfortunately, I was in those. So we're never going to have a meeting of the minds because one of us are going to have to call the other's truth truer. You know, isn't the how it's going to happen? Yeah. In order for us to have a meeting of the minds to continue to go forward, one person has got to acquiesce to the other's truth and call it true within their own. That's, I mean, that's how cunning, mm. that's how cunning this serpent's strategies or stratagem has been. He has created Everybody in these in these um, these little what do you call them um, chambers cylinders? Thank you, God. In these little cylinders that we kind of talk through, and there's no way for the two to meet. So everybody has this whole cylinder kind of perception of life. My cylinder versus your cylinder versus because in my cylinder I reign, and then your cylinder you reign. But the problem is. We don't know how to join our race to make things happen. We can't do that because we're all in this cylinder truth. You know, my personal world, my personal orb. And, and, and the, how do you know it's a problem? Because you can't hear anybody else. Because your truth yells louder, screams. And now you're going to tell somebody you're a prophet with your personal truth. Wow. I don't know how that's going to go. You got your personal truth. Your personal truth in your cylinder, with your library, with your archive, with your thesaurus, your di- definition, your dictionary, your experiences, and all of them being the, the dough or the bread of your truth. 
<clears throat> that's it. Because, you know, truth is bread, <clears throat> and bread is truth. Wow. Mm. Did you want to have a comment? Because we got time. <clears throat> Can you do it? Can she do it? Trauma. Pies. Today, well, we said it would be a slap cloth gavel, bring the gong kind of day. <laughs> and it is. Bless the Lord. I I think that in the future we should, meaning you, should revisit the mantle of a global prophet. Because... I I say prophets because we're talking about prophets, but people think that global means because they've been to other countries, Mm -hmm. that they are global. Yeah, that's true. And judging, because anybody can travel, not as easily as we used to, but anybody can travel and say they're global because they've been in various places around the globe Mm -hmm. or now with social media, the globe follows you. Yeah. So you can say you're global mm-hmm. because we can find you in various places. But that does not mean that you have the mantle for the world. Mm-hmm. I know. Right? Right. It okay. doesn't mean that. Okay. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, when, I, when, when you look at him, he said nations and kingdoms. Mm-hmm. That's every form of government. Every nation's consciousness, purpose, construction, he could speak into their purpose as opposed to their present, as opposed to their future. He, he, that's the embodiment. He said he has what God knows about the nations. Okay. So... You You're weren't having way exactly too much talking fun. about this today. Hey, you had a uh, question. You weren't exactly talking about this today. Okay, you weren't talking about this at all today, but <laughs> I still think it's relevant because we're talking about office and gift. You have mentioned this in a recent Sunday. You sprinkled it around about being a novice. Yeah. Can you address Dr. Price? I feel like this is, I mean, well, I guess this is a show, but you know, like when your guests ask you a really deep question and say you have four minutes to answer. Hello. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, 14. But what are some of the hallmark traits of being a novice? Because a lot of times we'll think because we've been doing something for a long time that we're not a novice. And that's usually like the first thing people throw out. I've been doing this for X amount of years and X amount of whatever, and who are you to say, and you can't assess, and, or maybe you just got here, and so you can't correct me because, and so on and so forth. And so what really are those, maybe you could just go basic, cursory, uh, identifiers and indicators, we'll say indicators, of being a novice, because there might be some of us who have been doing something for a long time and don't realize you have not matured, no. you're not seasoned, you're just old. You're just, think about, um, if we want to bring in the longevity factor, yes. think about the person who's been doing a job for 30 years, the same job. Yes. So does that make them expert or does it just make them occupied? You can have a person who says that, that they have been, 
I've been janitor for all of these years. Somebody who starts out as a janitor, you're sweeping the floors, emptying the garbage, that's one thing. But you've never went beyond that. That's, that's 35 years later, you're retiring from floor sweeping and garbage emptying. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't make you insignificant, but by the same token, it's, it's a very narrow uh, capacity for you to have. So that's number one. I always, because when I studied, uh, did a class on virtue, excuse me, I always said that um, I, I found out that virtue, the opposite of a virtue is a vice. So my quick way of understanding the novice thing is that novices have got to get rid of devices that would destroy their virtue. Virtue in God is power and ability. Now, you know, the the, the, the secular world doesn't want you to know that. But a couple of things that I learned about novice that I thought was really interesting was pretty much how... They said a novice has got to be told what to do every step of the way. They will work their list, and me researching, they will work their list, but in the end, well, my Internet left on me. But they will work a list, but they won't vary it. They are very task conscious task-oriented. I will do what I'm called to do. They're not necessarily, not because they don't want to be, but they have yet to develop the capacity for innovation and ideation. Ideas don't come to them like that. Not for a novice. A novice is in a hang-on-to-my-position mode. I'm just trying to do my job. I don't want to get fired, and I don't want to get in trouble. It takes a while for a person to move into that area of, of, um, of life where you actually say, okay, I can take correction, I can take instruction. Novices and can't do that. And there's a difference between a novice and a newcomer. A newcomer is, could be new to a field but quite experienced. Mm-hmm. So you can't put them in the same boat. But, but the one thing that, that I have read was that they, they, cannot, they don't even understand their scope or the levels of achievement or competency. Like, they, to, to a novice, effort equals competence. Ah, true. So they don't, cont- and, and they will always tell you that they didn't mean to mess up, but they don't know how to take the steps to avoid it. Or they refuse to take the steps. They will, pretty unless they are destined to be great or to be very accomplished in an the area, they will not um, research they will walk, they are moved by their instincts. Everything about a novice is internal. Hmm. So they so they have a big thing to do. Don't let them be Christian, because if they're Christian, then what they're going to do is tell you, "I prayed, and the Lord showed me, oh. and the Lord told me." But you didn't take any steps to be good. Novices do not um, consider how to avoid errors or mistakes, and they are incapable of repairing them or repairing any of the mistakes or errors or solving the problem. Hmm. Most novices, they're in it because they want to do something or they want to get a job or this is an entry-level thing for them. It's what they do with their entrance into a field that determines what their particular professional destiny is going to be. They're always forgetting things. They're always dropping balls because their capacities are forming Mm -hmm. in an ideal world. 
so they forget stuff. They're easily taken off course, you know, taken. They're very easily distracted, which is why the enemy gets them to get fired because they, because they can't. And, and, again, the ultimate thing is nobody told me. You didn't tell me. I didn't know. They, they love I didn't know because, frankly, they don't know. And what about, uh, you know, we obviously teach collaboration and teamwork and those sort of things, but at what point do you become handicapped by not doing anything unless somebody else is with you to get it done? Well, it's kind of like the Lone Ranger, I'm an island thing, because most novices have yet to be able to allow themselves to be compared with or put side by side with those around them. They would rather come with everything done for them to say, see, I did it and I didn't need anybody. kind of goes back to the beginning of our broadcast. I didn't need anybody, whereas a professional is always out to win. That's the one thing. A novice is trying not to get in trouble and to just finish a task. That professional is out to win. They really always want to see themselves do better than they did, but they want to alleviate reasons that they won't succeed. And then what about the flip side of somebody who won't really take initiative unless somebody is with them? Like, I'll do this, but somebody else has to do it with me. But that's still a novice mentality because it's uncertainty. I'm insecure. I'm unsure of myself. And I really haven't thought about going to find out how to do it. Mm. and how to get it right. Isolation is number one. Personal, exclusive credit, number two. That's important that I don't have to, people don't have to know how little I know and how much I have to learn. To me, that's the next thing. But the biggest thing that will irritate you with a novice is they can't take initiative. And if they take initiative, they will be able to do it, but if it turns out wrong, they can't vary. They don't have, they're not solution-minded. They don't think solution. And one of the other things they, that a novice is not inclined to do as a rule is think prevention. They don't think prevention or preparation because everything is the task. Just remember the task. Let's just do the thing that's expected of us. But as far as prevention, as far as preparation, as far as anticipating, like in your leadership training, we had that whole section on anticipating your, pro- your project failing. Yeah. What are your fail-safes? Yeah. Novice don't think fail-safes. Mm-hmm. What are your safeguards? Novice won't think that because th- those capacities have to grow. They have to be put in you, and, uh, and they come through experience. They don't, I mean, novice don't think crises because they think I'm doing what I know to do. I'm doing it right, so why should I be concerned about a crisis? Why should I be concerned about an upset? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of the, the um, mentalization that doesn't exist, even though the manualization is working, is happening. And so, you know, one of the things that I've learned at the church is fond of novices because we like to give people credit for effort. Sure. We're very, because we're always in this redemptive mindset. Well, I don't want you to feel that because they may think that God rejected them. But if you look at what God rejected, you wonder if we even had a plan. <laughs> we're, like, we're glad we're still here. God will tell you. He, he, God says not a novice. He talks about no novice because God's in it to win it, and a novice will guarantee you fail. That's one thing you can bank on. A novice will guarantee you fail, that you look bad and that you messed up because they always have holes and gaps and deficits in their perspective of what's required. All of these, all of these, 
a novice is not going to sit down and say, so um, let me pick your brain. You will rarely hear not because the novice wants you to know that their brain is full too. <laughs> you got a brain. I got a brain. Because when you get, you make enough mistakes, you start thinking about, you know what, can we, I'm going to ask you a couple what of questions. Think? What do you think? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure they both. I'm going to say, yeah, they both sure. So when we, when you think of a novice, when I think of novice, no, I won't even say that because I'm living with them. When I call you that, I'm not talking about hurting your feelings. Because, see, if you are called to greatness, that doesn't hurt your feelings. It alerts. It doesn't hurt. It alerts. Remember that. It doesn't hurt. It alerts. It doesn't hurt. It alerts. When it hurts your feelings, it's because you are locked into and you have decided you will be a novice as long as you don't get offended. Offense, because you see alerts as offense. Okay. Lack of approval. See, again, we're going back to that affirmation and that endorsement. This what you just said right here <laughs> about not taking offense at those corrections. That is so true because I remember some key corrective moments I've had over the years that were not tied to any kind of blow-up or calamity because sometimes people think, like, it, it just has to get to be something being leveled in order for you to come to correction. And I, in my observation and experience, those moments happen because all of these other moments were ignored. Exactly. All those things along the way. Now, and we need you to do this. And, and that's true because I remember you teaching me so many things along the way, totally green, no idea, or it's not sinking in, and saying, okay, I need to get a book. Mm-hmm. I need to clearly, if I keep having this moment, there is something else <laughs> I need to do to open my eyes, <laughs> to turn me from darkness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to change, like, somewhere, but if you really don't believe that your mentor is right and accurate in what they're doing, then you won't even give that consideration to say, okay, listen, I'm, let me, you to I need not. to, right, and, and say, okay, and I would say revert back to what you opened with, you just don't get me. I mean, I think this whole thing is come full circle. And a novice will always that. put the blame on the mentor and the leader because, again, their ego is looking for affirmation. A novice will always tell you you're wrong. <laughs> they will always tell you you're wrong. They, and, and, and if they ask questions, it's just because they You know, one, one definition say a novice is always working according to their own brilliance. Huh. <laughs> Not my words, <clears throat> but I thought it was worth saying it. Something you would say, though. So it's, it's how brilliant you see yourself that uh, a novice will always interrupt you when you're trying to instruct them because they want to give you the excuses and the explanation about how them they are. I'm just being me. Yeah. And so you can't develop them. And, they, and, and most, most novices, unless they're called to be to you for instruction or counsel or edification, you always have to force it on them. See, I, I, you can tell it. So when I said to, I, I remember I said to my group, all y'all novices and your carnal novices will always in Christianity stay carnal, and they will explain their carnality as God understands me, you don't get me, but God does. Like because God gets you, He accepts that nonsense you're doing. You know what I mean? So we're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm putting a, in my uh, training manual that I'm doing uh, for the prophetic and even for ministry. I am including. All of those elements, we're talking about emotional insecurity. We're talking about knowing people's emotional objectives because you can get their mental objectives, their career objectives, and their career objectives may be misleading. Mm-hmm. 
talk about the novice versus the expert and the standards because in my experience, and this is just in my experience, but, but there are some amazing things that God has out there and people who have done it, but getting God's church on board has got to stop or begin with ceasing to affirm their effort as excellence. We have to stop giving God trash. We give him trash because in our mind, the church is like our little children. We don't want our children to get upset. We don't want them to be disappointed. We, but understand that when you're an adult, disappointment means you broke your appointment with what was ordained. So God gave us an ordination. This is how we do it, blah, blah, blah. How do you think we got here with people going to church raggedy, tattered, and beat up, looking like refugees from some sort of battle, calling it and paying overpricing for somebody to tear your clothes? Who does? Where is that logic coming from? That cannot be God. And so it's very difficult to do this, but in terms of those that the Lord will entrust to my care, we are not going to do this. So ultimately, when I realize that a person is untrainable, I don't start training them. I just shut up. I really do. You know I do. We had a woman that I was going to prepare her to go on the road with me, and I just wanted to give her some communications lessons. And she said, don't mess with my, don't mess with my speech now. Don't, talk, don't mess with my talk because this is how I am. And so this is how I'll do it. And I never talked to her about it again. I let her sound as dumb and stupid as she did until somebody else would have mercy on her and say, you know you sound dumb and stupid? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I surely did. But it's the truth. So if you want to be excellent, then you're going to understand that excellence takes more than effort. Excellence takes humiliation. It takes embarrassment. It takes crushing. It takes crumbling. It takes repetition. It takes drills. It takes grills. It takes a, a, a grit and the guts to go ahead and suck it up for the outcome you know God ordained for you. Well, we made it right under the over the wire, under the over the wire. I just wanted you to know um, this was a fun time today. I, you know, I gave it to the Holy Ghost. I said, now, Jesus, I, um, I got nothing. That's what she did. She just clapped. Woo, I got nothing. And so he decided to do what he did. I think that this particular broadcast can be broken down in about three different segments because of the subject matter and really, you know, used in our, uh, our uh, what is it, self what is it, the self-study courses, I know that it would do that. But for those of you who train prophets or you're grooming ministers after you've eaten it and eaten it to your full, you might find it very helpful. I'm sure that as you re-listen, God is going to bring out the parts that pertain to you and point out the things that would help you nurture those that you're called to do. But in the end, the majority of what we deal with in our churches is from novices, and the problem that which is why the church doesn't know masters, doesn't know. Uh, I mean, you can go and get a master's degree, and your church is going to tell you the dumbest thing that ever went. You are anti-spiritual, you're anti-Christ, you're worldly and secular. That is because the church is only well versed in novices in far too many areas. Hey, we've run out of time, and so I will look for you Sunday at the embassy, home of the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands, 8 o'clock Sunday school, 10 o'clock service. Until then, share this. Share, 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 and then share some more, and after that, share again. And don't forget to sow. I'm sure that I've given you quite a bit to sow into. And one thing about sowing, it creates a covenant, and it forges a harvest covenant between what is spiritual and what is material. God bless you. I love you very much. 
See you next time on the Jesus and Paula show, starring Jesus Christ and me. <laughs> and me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.